Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and why weighted training is worth the joint damage. After meeting his dead grandpa, who didn't feel like hanging out very long, Goku is nearly finished with his personal training arc. The final leg of his journey involves making the long trip to the World Martial Arts Tournament. As we get ready to kung fu kick our way into the 22nd Tenkaichi Budokai arc. I'm your host, Dayton, and once again, I'm joined by my co-host, Todd. Hi! And with the next story arc covering about 18 episodes, we've decided to break things up into two separate parts, which means more instant transmission episodes for all of our listeners. Tonight's coverage goes over episodes 83 through 92, as we get started with Goku and the gang's entry into, or their second entry into the World Martial Arts Tournament. Was there anything else you'd like to add before we got things started, Todd? I don't think so. This one's pretty straightforward, so I can I think we can just jump right in. All right. So that leads us to episode 83. Hurry up, Goku, the Tenkaichi Budokai. And it starts off by letting us know that it's been three years since Goku was told to travel on his own by Master Roshi. And for some reason, that was kind of sobering to me because it feels like it hasn't been that long. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the last few episodes that we covered in the last episode of Instant Transmission... It was pretty much three, what well, kind of feel like filler episodes, but those are basically the episodes that cover this three-year time gap of Goku training. And I'm honestly okay with them keeping that pretty short, but this one too feels a little bit fillery as it kind of transitions us toward the World Martial Arts Tournament. Uh, but Goku basically starts off on his journey saving this fox humanoid creature i think his name is kokunichi uh and goku saves this creature from a couple of ruffians who are chasing after him trying to beat him up they do end up beating him up but goku stops them and this creature basically tries to help goku in his quest to get to the world martial arts tournament as a result yeah and we find out that uh, this creature, he's kind of, he's not really, I guess, straight edged. He's, he's actually kind of a little bit of a crook, a little bit of a thief, kind of a little dishonest. He's not really the type that Goku normally hangs around with. And while they're trying to figure out a way to get Goku to the upcoming world martial arts tournament, this Fox creature says he's going to help. And all of his ways of helping are involved, stealing, lying, all these bad things. And during their, and Goku's not aware of any of this happening, but they do end up running into a familiar face, one who I wouldn't have expected, Baba. She happens to be in the area, and we get um, some pretty interesting interaction between uh, Goku, Baba, and this creature. Yeah, and I messed up his name a little bit. It's Konkichi, but with Konkichi uh, being a little bit on the shadier side, Baba is able to just read Konkichi like a book. Uh, Baba being a world-renowned fortune teller. And she she makes Konkichi uneasy. Konkichi kind of dips out. Uh, and the, the whole idea is that Konkichi and Goku are trying to find cash to get on the plane to Papaya Island for Goku because... That's where the tournament's being held, and Goku has taken to heart that he cannot use the 
the flying Nimbus, which is what Master Roshi told him when Goku went to continue his training across the world. So how else do you get to this island? A plane. Uh, so they go to a carnival to try to get some cash. Uh, but Konkichi ends up getting attacked once more as they acquire some cash from a few carnival games. And Goku has to kind of bail him out of this situation once again. Yeah. And um, at this point, it's it definitely seems like the idea of taking a plane to uh, Papaya Island, where the tournament's being held, is kind of getting out of view. And on top of that, we see uh, Konkichi actually get set up by these people who are pursuing him. And he ends up being kind of caught red-handed in a bank with a gun in his hand. And the police start taking him away as the obvious person who had robbed this bank. But he's pleading with Goku and telling him that he didn't do it and that he was set up. And at this point, we get Baba showing back up. And uh, actually giving Goku a free fortune telling the greedy Baba actually kind of breaking character and doing something nice. And I wanted to bring this up because this is another example of Goku's charm or whatever effect he has his superpower to win literally anybody over. It's a really good detail. And I'm glad that you brought that up because this this trait about Goku's character it's almost his defining trait throughout the story as a character. I mean, this sticks with him throughout all of Dragon Ball. I mean, we get to see it even in Super. We get to see it with Beerus. We get to see it with uh, Zeno. Like, it, it's constantly just his charm, his easygoing attitude that kind of gets him what out of what would otherwise be sticky situations, I suppose. Yeah. And we also see one nice thing about Goku too, is that when people, you know, I guess open up or say their dark secrets or whatever, Goku's usually pretty chill about it. He's like, yeah, I get you did bad things in the past, but that doesn't mean you can't start doing good things in the future. And that's the kind of mentality that Goku always has. And to kind of hit on that theme, that I just actually mentioned right there. Goku is able to pursue these ruffians that uh, set up Kankichi at the bank and bring them in and kind of clear Kankichi's name. And this makes Kankichi just kind of overjoyed. He's over the moon and he expresses such, I guess, joy that he's come across Goku and that he's going to change his life and, get back on the right path sort of thing. So in one episode, we get two people kind of turning, I, I guess, moving a step towards being better people in one episode. You know, and it's funny because just as you're talking about that, I'm only just now realizing Dayton and I both said, you know, this episode is largely filler, but it does have kind of a funny, nice parallel with a little redemption arc for Konkichi that is it parallels a lot of what we're going to see coming up in this arc. Uh, but really with Konkichi kind of turning a new leaf, Goku having missed his plane for helping Konkichi says, I'm just going to swim there. And, <laughs> and of course one. everyone thinks he's nuts because uh, where he needs to swim is on the other side of the world. Yeah. But 
I mean, we've seen Goku do some crazy stuff. So, but that largely, I think, wraps up that episode. Yeah, I think that brings us right into episode 84, which is aim to be the world's greatest martial artist. And I was so happy to see this title because I know exactly where this is going. And we get shots of Master Roshi, Yamcha, Krillin, Bulma, Launch, Puar, Oolong, all flying to Papaya Island, where the World Martial Arts Tournament's going to be held. So it's everyone starting to assemble, and I'm already getting pumped. Heck yeah. We get to see Goku continuing his swim as he gets lost, running into a ship, asking for directions. And it cuts to the rest of the gang registering for the tournament. We do, in fact, get to see Master Roshi take on the guise of the infamous Jackie Chun and register for the tournament himself as well, which I'm super excited about. I was honestly shocked to see him do it again. I thought it was going to be just a one and done sort of thing to keep a fire in their bellies. But the fact that he did it again was I wasn't expecting that. And I have no idea where it's going to go. But Goku's gotten pretty strong at this point with three years of training under his belt. And look how far he put, uh, pushed Roshi at the last one. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like, I mean, while Roshi is a talented martial artist, it's not like he's spending all of his time training. Most of the time we see him, he's putzing about on his island. <laughs> he's not doing much. So we do also see um, some other familiar faces showing up to sign up at the World Martial Arts Tournament. And these faces, Dragon Ball fans will recognize as Tien and Chaosu. And I'm not sure if we've been introduced to them yet. And I don't know when they introduced them, but... I think technically, in terms of their names, I think it's in this episode. But, okay. But yeah, it's it's kind of weird because, especially for us as Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z fans, uh, we are, of course familiar with these characters but at this moment they show up with master shin or the hermit crane and we find out that this is tien and chaotsu's teacher much like master roshi is a teacher for yamcha krillin and goku and one other just kind of background detail that i thought was interesting here is that for the English dub, it sounds like Chuck Huber, the voice of Pilaf and Android 17. I did <laughs> yeah. kind of figure that out eventually. Yeah, he, he it sounds like he does the voice for Master Shin. Uh, and it's I, I mean, he's a he's a perfect voice for it. He's a great fit for it. It was just funny that I was like, ooh, ooh, that sounds very Pilaf-esque. <laughs> when when Master Shen kind of raises his voice, you definitely get a lot of Pilaf there. So that's what gave it away for me. Yeah, yeah, me too. And eventually, Goku finally arrives on scene uh, wearing a tiger loincloth that he acquired or tiger. I don't even know what to call it. It's like a jungle suit. Uh, and he's able to register kind of last minute as Master Roshi makes sure that uh, it, it is still there's still time for Goku to register for the tournament. Yeah, and with registry done, uh, Goku and all the gang decide to go out and eat and kind of catch back up on things. And it's at this moment, Master Roshi suggests that he'll pay for a good meal for everybody. And then 
realizes that that's a terrible idea because Goku's going to probably eat him out of house and home. Yeah, so Roshi's kind of banking on winning that prize money from the tournament, but we'll we'll see what happens here. <laughs> and so our our party kind of collects they they get a a room for the night. Uh Krillin and Yamcha head out in the middle of the night and see other martial artists training. And in the morning, all of our fighters collect for the tournament as they make an announcement that there are 182 fighters in this tournament that is now so popular that they're going to be running it every three years. And that kind of, they kind of leave us on that note for that episode. Yeah. And I think, uh, they're making a big point to say that the competition this year is going to be a lot, I guess, a lot better than it was even in the last one. And do you know how many fighters there were in the previous one? I never thought to look that up. You know what? I can check my notes because I know I wrote it down. Let me see if I can <laughs> find it. Uh, but... I was just kind of interested because they did give a specific number and I wanted to know if there was something to compare it to. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of keep moving forward, but I will definitely find the number <laughs> in here and we will circle back around to that. All right, well, that takes us to episode 85, Obsessed with Winning, The Preliminary Survival. And we begin with the pairings being drawn and the 182 fighters are about to begin the preliminary matches. The... Our heroes are lucky that they don't have to fight each other. And uh, the competition, like I said, looks pretty stiff this year. Yamcha's kind of getting things kicked off with the first preliminary match that we see of our heroes. And he easily defeats his opponent. Just one shot, just having fun. No issues there. And it's kind of that way with a lot of our heroes in the, these fights. Krillin is up against just another disgusting large man, which I guess is just going to be a pattern with him. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie, when this big, large wrestling man enters the ring and he's talking all this stuff, and we get kind of a hint towards his history from Yamcha that he was kind of a underground wrestler and he was legendary and people refused to, to fight him. Uh... They're really making a big deal out of this guy, and he does get kind of a death grip on Krillin. And we see Krillin kind of struggling and screaming and yelling. And I'm pretty sure at this point, I'm just a broken, beaten man because I totally bought into Krillin's acting during that moment. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because during a lot of the preliminary matches, I mean, the last time they did the preliminary matches we basically got the first two fights where Krillin and Goku were, I mean, Krillin was unsure of himself, uh, but he ends up doing very well. And after that, Krillin and Goku just kind of breeze through the preliminary matches. Uh, these preliminary matches, they go out of their way uh, for multiple fighters to give exposition that makes some of the competitors feel like they are a big deal. Like this big guy that Krillin ends up fighting they, I think it's Yamcha who gives a lot of exposition stating that he's one of the strongest or probably the strongest professional wrestler. And he 
he switched from professional wrestling to do this martial arts tournament because he wasn't feeling challenged. Uh, and Yamcha seems pretty concerned, but beyond Krillin's acting, Krillin has zero issue tossing this gigantic guy out of the ring. Yeah. And so all of our heroes are just breezing through the preliminary matches, but so is the crane school being Tien and Chaosu. The most interesting part about these preliminary matches are honestly the smack talking between TN and our heroes. Yeah, I would agree. TN basically comes over and just starts telling Goku and Krillin and Yamcha that they are their second rate fighters, like they shouldn't they shouldn't be here, that they there's no way they're going to defeat him and Yamcha is really Yamcha is pretty triggered by this exchange. Yamcha really wants to shut Tien's mouth. And they even get to the point where they're talking about fighting right here and now, even though they're not in a match together. And Jackie Chun has to intervene, letting them both know that if they do decide to fight, they'll be disqualified from the tournament. And meanwhile, the whole time, Chaosu is standing there, staring not really talking, never blinking, just being creepy as hell. Do we want to talk about what Chaozu calls Krillin? No, 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 we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> That's fair. It's <laughs> uh, it's very 90s. <laughs> Let's just so, say yeah. that. Uh, Chaozu does smack talk Krillin a little bit, so we have some rivalries kind of being built up between Yamcha and Tian right now, and Chaozu and Krillin. And this is important because there's... There's a lot of buildup and some payoff between these pairings. Yeah. And I mean, they're, they're going out of their way to build up Tien and Chaozu as kind of the, the antagonists of this scenario, which is good because really Goku and Krillin didn't have, didn't have somebody like that in the first tournament. I mean, Roshi had to go out of his way to be the competition for them, but we also get a scene cutting away from the pre preliminary matches briefly as Master Shin talks trash about Roshi's students to Bulma and Launch. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine how annoying that would be. <laughs> like, why? Why would you go? This guy is just like so full of himself and just has to talk down to Roshi's friends about him. Yeah, but... he it seems like he's he's going out of his way to find them and then just smack talk. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing here? It's so weird. It gets to the point where launch in yellow haired form decides to shoot at Hermit Crane. Cool thing here, though, is we actually see Hermit Crane pick all of the bullets out of the air and just kind of drop them to the ground as he walks away. The cocky asshole that he is. <laughs> we do. Um, What was it? We do get an interesting tidbit about Goku's opponent in his first uh, preliminary match, though. And his name is King Choppa. And he was the world martial arts champion before Goku had entered the first time. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And in Goku's fight, just like every other preliminary fight, he is basically taken out. No problem. It's not even a really interesting fight. It is just Goku is way stronger than this guy. 
I really like the way that they treat the preliminary matches in this tournament because they were basically just a breeze in the first tournament, which is totally fine. But when you're in a tournament like this where people are drawing lots randomly, it's you're never going to have a perfect situation where all of the best fighters end up being in the final eight, because you're going to have a situation like this, where one of the strongest fighters there is going to get paired up with one of the other strongest fighters there. And they're just going to get unceremoniously knocked out in the preliminary matches. Like King Choppa almost certainly should have been in the final eight. Uh, we'll see. I would say at least two fighters who were probably probably less accomplished than him in the final eight as we move forward. Yeah. Um, and I know, I know this fight spills over into the next episode because it's a lot of buildup, a lot of chest pumping, but it's really, that's really the entire fight. There's really not much, um, not much battle between the two. Goku is just on an entirely different level than this man. But, um, I guess I'll go ahead and just walk us in episode 86 because yeah. we, we've already started talking about it. Um, or I've already started talking about it. <laughs> uh, episode 86, it's decided the eight brave men. And this episode is begins with Goku kind of kicking the snot out of King Chapa, despite him using his eight handed technique and going all out and looking all tough. But the coolest thing i would say about this fight is that there's a moment where goku kind of goes aerial and king chop is waiting for goku to hit the ground or get within range and as he goes to launch the attack on goku while goku's in midair goku controls his breathing in such a way where he changes his fall trajectory and almost slows down and staggers causing king choppa to miss his hit and it just shows the innate fighting ability of Goku. It's it's a really cool moment because even Roshi is like, ah, you know, the boys made a mistake. Like he's leaping down out of the air. He's going to leave himself wide open. And Goku had planned for it the entire time and just uses his sheer lung power to blow himself back to keep him from falling into King Chapa's punch and then delivers the final kick to Choppa's chin and knocks him out of the ring. I will say for Choppa though, while this fight, I mean, Goku is clearly, clearly out matches uh, King Choppa, but King Choppa took quite a few hits. He took a punch to the face at the beginning, multiple kicks to the ribs. And I mean, he, He's clearly no slouch. Uh, if he had been fighting anybody else in the tournament, King Choppa probably would have done pretty well for himself. Or but... if he had fought maybe three years ago. Yeah, that's a good point, too. If uh, if he had joined the tournament, he almost certainly would have been in the final eight. Yeah, it's I mean, it's insane because you're right. He is a world martial arts champion and Goku didn't take him out in one hit like almost every other opponent that the main characters fight. So it is, it is interesting to think about it from that perspective. I'm, this is a total side tangent, but your comment about King Joppa participating in the previous tournament just made me think about what if I know the ages might be weird, but what if Hercule, Mr. Satan, 
participated in this tournament. How do you think he would do? Oh, geez. My gut <laughs> says he's probably about as strong as King Choppa, to be honest. I think I would so put Hercule too. right around there. Like, I think they are both like as strong as human martial artists can be, if that makes sense. As strong as a regular person could be. Yeah, yeah. As you were saying that, it made me think about Mr. Satan. And I was like, you know what? I bet I bet King Champa and Mr. Satan are probably comparable. So it's it's interesting to think about. And to think about how hard both of them have worked to to get to the level that they're at, right? It's not like they're slouches or didn't didn't put in the time or effort or work or anything like that. It's just yeah. I mean, it could be luck, fate. It could just be not having the right master or the right teacher or whatever. It's There's a hundred different reasons why they didn't get as strong as, you know, Krillin and DBZ or any of those other characters, but I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Krillin's a bit of an outlier, but I was about to say it could be Saiyan biology. Mm, you had to bring it up. You had <laughs> to bring it up. Oh. <sighs> Jeez. Well, I mean, if if Mr. Satan had fought in the uh the um the universe tournament in Dragon Ball Super, they probably would have given him a tune up and he'd probably be at least, you know, a Kabillion power level. He'd probably be Super Saiyan level. I uh, there's a part of me that would have absolutely loved to see him in that <laughs> I tournament. Want to see his hair just turn blonde and start just whooping ass. I would absolutely love that. I as I've gotten older, I love Mr. Satan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. Anyway, so Mr. Satan isn't actually here, though. And yeah. uh, the, after Goku defeats his opponent, we get a, a scene where Master Roshi is kind of contemplating whether Goku has actually surpassed him. It's kind of this surreal moment for the Turtle Hermit. Yeah, and in that moment, Jackie Chun uh, effortlessly takes down his opponent, almost imagining it as Goku. And we also kind of get this fun, it's really probably only 30 seconds, but it's a fun montage. Of yeah, the, with the Japanese definitely 80s music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I loved the music. I was like, this is rocking. But it's it's just a whole montage with the preliminary bouts as Goku, Krillin, Yamcha, Jackie, Tien and Chaozu just kind of skyrocket their way through these 187 fighters. And I did find it was 100, or I'm sorry, 182 this time, 137 the previous tournament, which is not as big of a jump as say, I thought. They sounded like it was just like, oh my God, it's massively popular. We got 50-ish more people. Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's, it is a significant increase. It's like, what, 30, 40%, but it's not like... I thought it was going to be much more. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, I thought like the first one was like, you know, oh, like 50 people showed up to it. And then this one was just like 180. I was like, wow, that is a big difference. That's kind of what I thought, too. But it also we are watching the dub version. So it could also be a dub. Could be any number. Yeah, we we all, we all know people that make dubs can't count. So it could, it could literally <laughs> be anything. Anything. <laughs> but uh, after the awesome 80s Japanese music field montage, which we are watching in the dub, so I will bring it up that they they kept the Japanese music. I love it. It's weird, but I love it. <laughs> so our fighters just fly through the preliminary matches, and um, we do get a scene where you know they're 
after they're done kicking a bunch of butt, they actually break for lunch. And it's kind of a kind of building on this timeline where while they're sitting there, they're eating. We get TN kind of grabbing one of these servers or one of the people working in the kitchen and kind of threatening them, yelling at him for serving what he describes as garbage or slop. Yeah. And he's just being a general jerk. And once again, Yamcha kind of stands up and tells him to knock it off. And we're getting this just bubbling tension between these two characters. Yeah, Yamcha cannot stand Tien. He doesn't like that Tien basically just treats other people like trash. And uh, I mean, the the fact of the matter is that if those guys fight, they're going to get disqualified. And that is, again, what Jackie Chun steps in and reiterates to them. Uh, this time, I mean, they seem much closer to actually starting a fight in this moment than they did previous but they end up going their separate ways with Jackie Chan intervening. And we then get a switch to a scene with a familiar face in a fighter from the previous tournament, Nam, saying hello to Goku. Yeah, and he kind of introduces himself and everyone's happy to see him. And he almost spills the beans about Master Roshi's being Mr. Uh, Mr. Jackie Chun, um, which is honestly the worst kept secret at this point. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't know how I guess people haven't figured it out, but whatever. He's like Clark Kent, man. You just put on the wig and he's a completely other person. And it's like, man, you almost look like somebody I know, but you have hair and that's different enough for me. Yeah. And he's not wearing sunglasses. <laughs> so, yeah, Nam is here and once again if you don't remember nam he is literally the nicest man in the world i think that is his entire personality and so it's hard to hate this guy and yeah he says he's fighting in the tournament and he's looking forward to fighting the best fighter he's ever fought again it's a really wholesome moment it's it's a lot of fun and i think that it is perfectly butted up against the following scene where Nam is knocked out unconscious on the floor in the preliminary rounds, having fought Tien and Tien saying things like, I should have hit him harder, I guess, after the the medics basically say, oh, he's, you know, he's he's down and out. He's probably got some I think they even say something like head trauma uh, and Tien's like, I should have hit him harder. But, you know. He he will walk again, but he's never going to fight again. And yeah, it's kind of a quick transition. And it's once again, Tien just, I think, going out of his way to be the bad guy at this point. But the big takeaway from this one is that Goku and the gang are not happy. And Goku has been kind of, you know, not really caring about the, all the smack talk and things that Tien's been doing, but... When he hurt Nam, when he hurt one of Goku's friends, that's when we see him kind of grit his teeth and start turning his gaze towards Tien. He, Goku goes so far as to almost like lunge towards Tien, like he's going to take him out right here and now. And again, Jackie Chun physically has to restrain Goku and hold him back in this moment. And I want to talk about this a little bit because I think bringing Nam back and using him as a narrative tool to cement not only the audience's distaste for Tien, 
but also Goku's distaste for Tien is excellent storytelling. I think they did a great job with this. Yeah, and it doesn't feel out of place, right? Nam absolutely is somebody who you would expect to see there and somebody we all kind of recognize and like at this point. It's it's a great way to, I guess, introduce drama without it feeling out of place. So I'm 100% on board. Yeah, yeah, I, I love this moment. And I think that pretty much leads us into the next episode. Yeah, the last thing we hear in this episode is that the championship is about to begin and we are down to the top eight fighters. So things are about to get good at this point as we jump into episode 87, Showdown, Yamcha vs. Tien. I am so, so happy that they are doing things the way they are. And when I saw that title, I was like, yes, yes, they're going to, they're not going to dangle it in front of us. They're going to give it to us right away. Oh, so happy. Yeah. And the, we find out that the reason they give it to us right away is actually at the behest of Tien and Chaozu rigging the fights because our eight final fighters are requested to draw lots. So they're pulling these papers out of a box randomly, blindly to see where their spot will be in the tournament bracket. But Chaozu has some sort of psychic powers and can not only determine what the numbers are with his mind without being able to see them, but he can also move the numbers around when the fighters put their hand into the box to draw their number. And Tien wants blood from Yamcha. Yeah. And so they begin kind of stacking the, I guess the matchups. And so we have Tien pairing himself against Yamcha. So that way they can settle their feud. There's also kind of a light feud between Chaosu and Krillin with a little bit of smack talking happening here and there. And so they're matched up together. And the one that really had me scratching my head was apparently there's a wolf man who's made it to the top eight and he really dislikes Jackie Chun. Whoa, 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 whoa. Man wolf. Oh, geez. Yeah, I'm a, ugh, I, I apologize. <laughs> I did get that wrong. Um. And then the final pairing is, of course, Goku and some rando. Yeah, we'll find out more about this guy later. But <laughs> Admittedly, kind of looking back on it, I'm fine with it because I think of our heroes, I think we all at this point kind of realize that Goku's probably the strongest, right? And oh, so yeah. until Goku gets closer to the end... The other matches, I think, are probably more important than Goku's. And so this is a much more interesting way to tell this story and to get the other characters involved. So I actually really like this decision. I totally agree with you. I think that the whole idea behind the story arc is the buildup to Goku's confrontation at the end here. And so they basically start us right off with this oh, and just to clarify i have not seen the end so i'm just assuming it goes that way before anyone says <laughs> oh you're spoiling something like, i haven't seen any i have no idea how this ends so nothing spoiled i'm just hypothesizing because i've seen some dragon ball yeah and 
I do know how it ends, so I'm trying to I'm trying to be vague, and I'm trying not to spoil it either, and, and not even spoil it for for not only the audience but also for you, Dayton. <laughs> yeah, don't you dare do that. <laughs> I will certainly try not to. I mean, what if like I don't know if Goku's going to die or not. I mean, he might. They've got Dragon Balls. He can come yeah, back. Uh, I guess it. I wish death mattered. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, we've got our pairings and. They don't really waste a whole lot of time here. Um, the first round is set up. We've got Yamcha and Tien entering the arena, taking their stances and preparing to settle their differences. And I do wish I kind of wrote down some of the smack talking that they were doing back and forth because it was it was cracking me up because it was all that kind of. I don't know, like that clever, cheesy smack talk where it's just like, I'm going to teach you a lesson in pain. It's like, oh, oh, I'm not familiar with that class. Like it was stuff like that. It was cracking me up. It's pretty like comically bad in a way that is just like you said, it's if you don't take this seriously, it's funny to hear them just say, say these terrible one liners. I think even TN in the dialogue at one point says, well, your fighting is not bad, but your one-liners are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fun. It yeah. Actually, it's a lot of fun. And I'm going to tell you right now, once the match actually begins and starts coming to blows, it's still fun. The animations are fantastic. There's only a couple little reused parts, very small if you're like looking for it. But we get these two just kind of going at it at a complete stalemate at the beginning. And we get some great, I guess, charging at each other. There's a point where Tien kind of goes low and does a sweeping kick. And it just looks, the whole thing is animated so well that I went back and watched it a second time because it was that entertaining. I really did enjoy this match. Yeah, it's it's a pretty fun watch. I mean, there's... I feel like, and they've, I guess they've done this a little bit earlier in Dragon Ball, but this fight in particular feels like they've really established what is almost iconic in Dragon Ball fights, which is like the, the multiple fist shots with like the, the speed lines and Mm. they're trying to show you how fast these characters are. Uh, So it's kind of fun to see that it almost seems like this is the fight where they, they have kind of perfected that drawing style. And so we get a lot of that, a lot of quick exchange of blows. The fight seems very, very even, like Dayton said. And I think it kind of comes to a head where they separate from one another. And Yamcha says, okay, you know, enough of us just pounding on each other. It's time for one of my special moves. And it's a new one called the Wolf Fang Blowing Wind. Yeah, and um, I'd like to tell you about it, but we actually don't get to see it until we get to the next episode. And one thing I do want to quickly point out is that there's a lot of subtle kind of yin and yin and yang differences between the two as they're fighting. Uh, Tian is using a lot of, I guess, pointed strikes, only using just a couple of his fingers, whereas Yamcha is using kind of clenched fists and is a little bit more brute force. And there's some subtle differences between the way the two are fighting that I thought was excellent. And it's it's not a ton, but it's the small attention to detail that I did appreciate about this fight. Those are good details to bring up, especially because I think that in 
the more recent Dragon Ball, you lose a lot of that. Whereas this feels like it feels very grounded in real world martial arts because they are they have different types of strikes, different types of stances. And you could almost especially if somebody had a full lexicon of martial arts knowledge, they could almost certainly point out like, oh, that's from Kung Fu or that's from Taekwondo or that's from karate. Uh, and it's 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 pretty cool to watch. And one thing I actually, uh, when Yamcha announced the, um, what was it? The wolf, the wolf blowing fist. What was it called? Oh, the wolf fang blowing wind technique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately forgot it. Um, <laughs> I, I do like that they are adding, I guess, more moves, more, more dynamic things to characters because Dragon Ball is terrible. Just overall about giving people new techniques. How many techniques does Krillin have right now? Right now? Yes, at this point in his journey. I mean, we're going to see in the next fight, but it's it's like one to none. <laughs> I can't think of any like trademark technique that Krillin has used up till this point. I don't think he has a technique. Uh, I mean he was he learned or stole a technique from somebody else in the in the com- upcoming fight but <laughs> say i that's why i want to bring it up right now is because yeah dragon just dragon ball as a whole the entire thing is terrible about giving characters new techniques and most of the time it's just kind of transposing a technique from one character to another and so yeah. Seeing Yamcha actually just kind of have his own technique, or at least named technique, I was pretty excited about. It. I was like, "What is this? This blowing wind technique that he's about to break out?" And we're gonna find out in episode eighty-eight. Go Yamcha, the dreadful TN. And uh, we find out that the technique is just kind of running at TN and waving his arms around in whirlwind circles. Yeah. I was so disappointed that that was the technique. I thought it was going to be something awesome. See, I, as you were praising the fact that they gave Yamcha another technique, I was over here thinking, I, I like that they gave him another name for a technique, but it seems, it, like you said, it's just him waving his arms in circles. I wanted like, to take you through my journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I was right there on that same journey with you because I don't, while I remember the overall details of Dragon Ball, I don't remember the specific details like this technique. And so I was like, oh, cool. What's this technique going to be? And then I was like, that technique was garbage. Was uh, It was so disappointing, too, especially because it's, you know, Yamcha has been kind of a, a mono move guy up till this point. So just having a another tool in the back. And even then, like Wolfang Fist is kind of not not fantastic. Um so yeah, it's Yamcha. I'm really trying hard to to like you, bro. But the I mean, the coolest thing about this though is that Yamcha is kind of fighting somebody I think important at this point, and he's keeping up. Tian is kind of our main villain at this point, and Yamcha is kind of going head to head. He's smack talking. He's holding his ground, and it's kind of fantastic to be honest. It's you know good for Yamcha. I do like that. I will say, though, 
on the contrary side to that, that while Yamcha is currently staying relevant and I'm really excited about it, he also at this point kind of falls into, or maybe him and Krillin kind of fall into the later Vegeta role, which is them kind of just being like measuring sticks and getting their butts kicked and not getting any wins. And then Goku coming in and taking all the limelight. Yeah. But you know, just enjoy enjoy the time you do get in the limelight because it's it's rare and you should appreciate it otherwise you'll become a jaded dragon ball fan it's very true so with that in mind (laughs) this fight is still pretty cool the animation is well done while the technique is not that great uh yamcha is even almost seems like he gets a little bit of an edge with this technique as he knocks it does a flying kick that knocks tien to the ground uh, and Tien kind of, I, I mean, it seems like Tien's gotten beat up at this point, but then Tien gets up laughing and even says, I think one of his, one of his goofy lines, one of his goofy smack talk is like, oh, you should call that the wolf fang full of hot air technique. <laughs> the smack talking cracks me up so much because <laughs> it's, it's so, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. At least Roshi even takes a, a minute, though, to kind of remark on how much Yamcha has improved. And I that's important. I like Yo, or Master Roshi being proud of uh, proud of his pupils. And we get to see kind of Yamcha getting that that big improvement that he's really needed for a long time at this point. And we get to see him, I guess, really showing the fruits of his labor under the Turtle Hermit. We do. I think this, though is kind of the turning point because Yamcha tries to use the same technique, kind of a repeat of his flying kick from way up in the air. And Tien, his body turning red like a tomato, just basically completely tightens up his muscles and no-sells this second kick as Yamcha comes flying in and it seems to have no effect on Tien. Yeah, it's very, um, very kind of, what is it, the Shaolin monk thing or whatever that is, where they kind of beef up and the they can basically absorb any attack. It's, it's very reminiscent of that. And at this point, whatever advantage uh Yamcha had just feels all but lost at this point as Tien is now on the offensive pressing his own advantage and even knocking Yamcha to the floor but we see this defeated Yamcha kind of drag himself up really struggling and he announces that he has a second wind and this is where we see something really kind of badass to be honest we see Yamcha put his arms back and charging up his first, at least from what we've seen, Kamehameha wave. Yeah. And Roshi is, he's worried about Yamcha being able to pull it off. So we, we do kind of get the impression that if Yamcha has been working on the Kamehameha, he is certainly not perfected it or this may even be his first time attempting the technique at all and he does manage to fire it off it's i mean it's it's kind of an epic moment we get to see the the key blast coming from yamcha we see it careening towards tien tien stands there ready to take it and tien has a technique that 
I don't think Yamcha was counting on in this moment. No, we see Tien kind of focus his key around him, and then just before the blast is about to impact Tien, we see it bounce off of Tien and actually deflect back towards Yamcha, who has to just barely avoid the attack, just narrowly getting blasted himself as it as the blast just careens into the crowd, kind of blowing up. I'm assuming an area where there were no spectators, but there's a huge explosion in the background and Yamcha is launched into the air and his guard is completely down at this point. Yeah. I I do just want to point out before we finish this fight, this is awesome. Like the, the technique that Tien uses with his hands kind of, he almost looks like he's doing a Naruto pose with his hands in front of him and his fingers up. But we haven't seen anything like this at all in Dragon Ball up to this point. The closest thing that I can think of was the, I forget his name, but the pink monster in Muscle Tower that Goku fights and Goku uses a Kamehameha that bounces off the creature. But this is something else entirely. This is a practiced martial artist channeling his key in order to deflect a key blast and we haven't seen anybody use a technique like that up to this point so i just think this is super cool yeah and it i mean yamcha was caught off guard like i think everybody else and with yamcha in midair and his guard down tien kind of moves in on the vulnerable yamcha knocking him hard to the floor of the arena and yamcha is defeated at this point no life left in his eyes, but even then, that's not enough for Tien, who falls from the sky, driving his knee hard into Yamcha's leg, breaking it just before he exits the ring victoriously. Yeah, and this is... There's a part of me that is like watching Yamcha's leg break and twist in an unnatural angle is brutal, but I also kind of wanted to hear like a visceral scream of pain from Yamcha. And we don't get that here. Yamcha's basically already out of it. And he almost he almost doesn't even acknowledge that he gets struck in the leg the second time. So I was a little bit, I don't know. I felt like I was a little bit disappointed by that. I wanted to hear just like a blood curdling scream from Yamcha's voice actor here. I don't necessarily hate it, though, because this was, I think, trying to kind of hammer home the point that Tien is a a, a piece of crap. He's yeah. really just kind of the worst scum. He saw an unconscious fighter lying on the floor of the arena and took that opportunity to break a defenseless fighter's leg before ending the match. So... Maybe, I don't know, part of it is I am used to, or I really do enjoy a good Frieza torture session, but Tien might just be a different kind of villain sort of thing. He's all about just holding power over people. And just like Nam, who he's basically sentenced to never fight again, I think he was trying to do the same thing with Yamcha. And, well, based off of the rest of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, he may have done that. <laughs> just the the broken leg curse for Yamcha. <laughs> <laughs> it just it just took the uh the next series for it to actually kick in. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Kick in because he has a broken leg. <laughs> <laughs> All I can think about right now is the scene, uh, particularly the scene from Dragon Ball Z, a bridge that sticks out to me where one of the Sal Juniors grabs Yamcha's arm and Yamcha's like, please don't break my arm. Sal Jr.'s like, no, just snaps his arm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Poor Yamcha. We we do get another scene of um with with Yamcha's leg broken, Poir transforms into a flying carpet, and we get Goku and Krillin loading the the unconscious body of Yamcha onto Poir so that way he can be taken to the hospital. But Goku is he was mad before, he's super, super mad now. He's very angry at Tien for hurting his friend or another one of his friends. Yeah, I mean this this story it's it's building up this narrative. It's building up multiple reasons for Goku to just despise Tien. And it's doing a great job of it. And at this point, I mean, the, the match is over. Yamcha's taken to the hospital. Tien is the victor. And we, we get a, a short little scene that I thought was interesting here where Tien is talking with Chaozu saying... Oh, I've taken out Roshi's star pupil. So taking out the two kids will be no problem. So he's got a little bit of a misconception here about who the most powerful student of Master Roshi is, which I thought was kind of just a fun detail. Yeah, I, you know, I do remember him saying that now. I didn't quite catch it at first, but... Honestly, I wish they would have hammered that home just a little bit more because I think it would have been, and it makes sense too, right? Yamcha is the, the oldest, the biggest, the strongest looking. So yeah, I absolutely believe. And that would also explain why Tien was so hellbent and starting a fight with Yamcha, right? Yeah, it makes sense where Tien thinks, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to pick a fight with the strongest student of the turtle school. And I'm going to put him in his place. And then, you know, the turtle school's going to be, they're going to be shamed in public. And the crane school is going to reign victorious, be seen as the, the supreme school of martial arts. Yeah. I good catch on that. I didn't, I do remember it now that you mention it and it's a great detail, but at this point we get a little bit of a, uh, Crane School showing up to the same place that the Hermit School, I'll just call our heroes that, are eating <laughs> at. And we get some more back and forth kind of smack talk and Tien's kind of flaunting his his victory over our heroes. And they they more or less have to sit there and just take it. But that leads us into the end of the episode where match two is about to begin. And it's... Manwolf, 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 and Jackie Chan preparing to take the stage. Yeah, Mr. Manwolf is very keen on not being called a wolf man, but he seems to have a hate boner for Jackie Chun for some reason. And uh, we're about to find out in episode 89. Be afraid, a full moon grudge. And it was at this point I started putting the pieces together. I wrote down my theory because of the name of this episode. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, again, I don't remember the specific details. Having watched Dragon Ball probably 20 years ago or more. But 
I was racking my brain trying to think like, why in the world <laughs> does this man wolf hate Jackie Chun? But as their bout begins, we kind of dig into the narrative here. Uh, but the man wolf attacks Jackie Chun, stating that he he just hates him, uh, describing how he was once a man and would change into the reason he wants to be called man wolf is because in a full moon, he doesn't change into a wolf. It's a full moon that he changes into a man. But as Jackie Chun is just so ridiculous, <laughs> I know it, 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 it's obviously it, it's a Toriyama gag, right? Where he's just taking a trope of like the wolf man and kind of twisting it and flipping it on its head. But as Jackie Chun kind of dances around the wolf, or I almost called him wolf man, the man wolf. <laughs> Don't you dare do that. <laughs> uh, we get the, the narrative of the man wolf is angry because he's stuck as a wolf. Because Jackie Chun destroyed the moon. Yes. And if you're a werefolk, the moon is very important. And I do think it's kind of funny that they found kind of a silly excuse for somebody to have a grudge against Jackie Chun for blowing up the goddamn moon. <laughs> I love this callback, man. Like, it's it's goofy, but... I was like, why would he have a grudge against Jackie Chun? Like, I mean, Jackie Chun's only been in that one tournament, but, you know, I could understand somebody having a grudge against Roshi, but this is a fun little tieback to the previous tournament. I love it. It's pretty fun. And the thing is, is after Man Wolf makes that big reveal that when, when Roshi blew up the moon, he was stuck in wolf form or whatever, wolf man form. <laughs> Roshi is not sympathetic at all he does not care and he is just making fun of man wolf and just dancing around him and taunting him and that's pretty cold man that's pretty cold and it's it's interesting because on some level it seems strange for roshi to do this and roshi eventually uh starts taking the fight more seriously once the man wolf pulls out a knife, <laughs> <laughs> but the, the man wolf says, uh, I mean, the, the knife is clearly against the tournament rules. The, our announcer even says as much. And the wolf says, I don't give a shit. I'm going to cut this Jackie Chun because he ruined my life because I can't turn into a man anymore. And Jackie Chun waits for the blow to come in and then catches the knife blade between two fingers and chucks the man wolf against the wall, knife and all. Yeah, just, I mean, it's kind of hilarious, the difference between Jackie Chan and man wolf, especially because there was kind of a lot of build up to this fight. And so it turned out to be a really silly fight. It also shows just, Master Roshi is not only a master martial artist, he also strong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With two fingers, he lifts this man wolf up into the air. And this man wolf, too, just to come back to the King Choppa bit, I feel like King Choppa should have been in the final eight instead of this man wolf. King Choppa seemed like a much more competent fighter. I'm not even sure how this man wolf got to the final eight. And we could have, um, we, I'd be fine spending, you know, an episode with Master Roshi fighting, you know, 
King Choppa or something like that. Like that would have been just an interesting watch. We could have spent more time to see more techniques from the previous world martial arts champion. It it could have been a lot of fun. Yeah. But I, I like that some of the fights in Dragon Ball are very serious fights. And some of them are gag fights like this one. And this yes. gag fight has a good tie back. So I'm, I'm okay with it. And, and this gag fight even pretty much ends with a gag with Master Roshi more or less training Manwolf like he was a house dog by commanding him to shake and roll over and even pulls out a bone and tosses it off the edge of the arena where Manwolf can't help but chase it and jump out of the arena, eliminating himself. Yeah, I mean, again, a gag way to end this fight. But what I really like about this, while it's kind of silly and I feel like you're not going to agree with me here about how the episode ends right there and nothing else happens. Yeah, yeah, that's how it ends. (laughs) (laughs) So. Roshi, uh, Manwolf is unwilling to give up, having even lost the bout, Manwolf still goes in to attack Roshi, but Roshi says, hey, I understand your plight. In fact, I even sympathize with it, and I think that I can help you. And he calls out Krillin. He asks Krillin to turn around so that the back of his bald head is facing our man wolf. And then Master Roshi uses hypnosis to convince the man wolf that Krillin's bald dome is a full moon. Mm, and the. The picture they had for that will be (laughs) seared into my brain of Krillin standing there with the it looks like someone took clip art of a moon and just pasted it over Krillin's head. It looks real bad. It looks ridiculous. But and so, well, let's resolve the scenario here, because what happens is the man wolf through hypnosis transforms back into a man. And so the the man wolf now man is ecstatic. He's, he's happy that his problem has been resolved. And master Roshi was the person who caused the problem and the person who solved the problem. But the reason I like this so much is because Dayton, while you were saying that master Roshi or Jackie Chun seemed very unsympathetic during the fight, that was more of just him goading this man wolf trying to get him kind of off balance, trying to get him to express what the problem was. And really Roshi in the end is a very, he's a pervy old man, but he's also a very sympathetic human being who understands people's problems and will in some ways go out of his way to help them. I mean, he he did it with Nam and he's doing it here with man wolf. So I, I kind of like the, the end beat here as we, we learn more about Roshi as a person. Yeah. I mean, everything ended up pretty well and Roshi kind of proved that he wasn't as much of the heartless jerk as I thought he was when he was talking all that smack to, to man and wolf man. And we, we do kind of get the, the happy ending. There's no loose end anymore. Man wolf is now just man. And we get our preview of the third match. Yeah. And that's going to be Chiaotzu 
versus Krillin as we move into the next episode. Which is episode 90. Na na na. What? Uh, Dodon Pa. Which I believe is Dodon Ray. <laughs> There's a part of me that loves listening to Dayton try to figure out these Japanese title cards for these English dub episodes. <laughs> but yes, the Dodon Pa is the Japanese name for the Dodon Ray in the English dub. And I think that that's what we're going to see here. Uh, Absolutely. The... And this is why you should always read ahead, folks. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we've got the Battle of the Baldies with Chaosu and Krillin entering the arena. And the once again, they jump right into the action on this one. There's really no downtime. And we get to see immediately that Chaosu, he doesn't like to walk places. He likes to hover places as he lifts off about a foot above the ground and begins flying the around the arena at lightning speed. Yeah, and he immediately begins kicking and juggling Krillin using his flight. And this is cool to me. So, Dayton, I think in one of our previous episodes, you mentioned, or maybe even off the episode, you mentioned that Dragon Ball introducing flight was a mistake as like a overall mechanic that everybody can use. So this fight, however, it's used as more of a specific technique for one fighter. And it makes the fight really interesting because Chaozu is trying to fly and float away from Krillin. Krillin's basically trying to chase him down. Uh, and it gets to a point as Krillin gets in a few good blows uh, and is so fast that Chaozu has a hard time following him. Chaozu just floats up into the air up to a point where it's difficult for Krillin to even reach him and makes the fight, uh, puts the fight in Chaozu's advantage. Yeah. And, you know, Krillin is trying to goad Chaozu into coming down and fighting like a man is what he says. And then we see Chaozu's kind of big plan come into play when he starts focusing energy into one of his fingers. And this is where. He points down at Krillin and he fires off a Dodon Ray. And Krillin is in a terrible spot at this point because Chaosu fires this ray and Krillin narrowly avoids it. And then we see Chaosu just charge up and fire another one. We are in a completely one-sided battle at this point. Yeah, it's, I mean, if there could be any perfect analogy to shooting fish in a barrel this is it i mean chaozu's just floating up in the air krillin can do practically nothing krillin even specifies like krillin could jump up and try to attack chaozu but chaozu can fly chaozu could easily just dodge krillin's attack and then knock krillin out of the arena so yeah. and we've had aerial battles before with goku and nam falling through the air fighting each other but this is different this is a whole new a whole new battlefield. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right about when one person can fly, but the other can't, everything gets a whole lot more interesting. You've got to be a lot more creative. Yes. And we do get a little bit of a break in the fight here as Goku recognizes the Dodon Ray because he's seen this technique before from none other none other than mercenary Tao. And we get a whole exchange where 
Goku expresses, oh, you know, I, I, I killed Mercenary Tao. And Jackie Chun is there. Tien overhears this exchange. And Tien is not happy about it. Tien says, Mercenary Tao was a powerful, excellent man. There's no way that you beat him and killed him. Yeah, it definitely caught me off guard to see Tien kind of holding admiration for kind of a, a selfish, horrible person. And this is where we get, this was a big reveal that I didn't see coming. This is where we find out that Mercenary Tao is the brother of the leader of the Crane School, Master Chen. And Goku has just made some pretty serious enemies. Yeah, I totally forgot about this. I knew that they were connected in some way, but I did not remember that Shin and Tao were brothers. And so this results in Tien going to Shin, telling Shin that Goku killed his brother. And Shin is not happy about this. Shin, in fact, tells Chaozu to stop messing around and we get the impression that he's implying to kill Krillin. Yeah, and things are kind of starting to escalate. Even though I thought they had already escalated, they're escalating even more. It's less of about sending a message, and it's becoming more of a about getting revenge at this point. And yeah, we see... Krillin still struggling against Chaosu, and with the order called out to finish the battle, it seems like things are about to come to an end for Krillin. But we do see some creativity out of Krillin when he decides to start calling out lefts and rights and jumping left and right. And Chaosu's getting kind of confused about it because what we will find out is that Chaosu. Not the brightest bulb in the box. And he can't remember his lefts and rights. And this throws the floating barrel shooter kind of off guard. And Krillin jumps on this opportunity, actually landing a strike on Chaosu. But just for a single attack. Yeah, he knocks Chaosu down to the ground. But Chaosu catches himself with his flying technique and then proceeds to fly back up where Krillin cannot get a good attack on him. and. Now, given the order to finish things off, Chaosu raises his Dodon finger into the air and charges it up larger than we've seen before. And Krillin's trying to figure out what can I do here to get on an even playing field. And Krillin thinks, Yamcha used the Kamehameha. <laughs> Why can't I use the Kamehameha? <laughs> yep, and so we are watching Krillin try and learn the Kamehameha technique in real time during the World Martial Arts Tournament. It's hilarious. Like, the way that he's basically even speaking it out, like, well, you just pull your hands back here, and then you say Kamehameha, right? That's it? That's <laughs> the whole thing. And I mean... <sighs> It kind of makes me laugh because the Kamehameha wave took Master Roshi 50, 50 years, years. Yeah. And Goku picked it up like by seeing it. Yamcha picked it up. I don't, I can't say exactly how he picked it up, but <clears throat> he wasn't taught it. He just kind of picked it up by seeing it. And then Krillin 
also just kind of picked it up by seeing it. So I'm going to just assume that if you are powerful, it is a lot easier to learn the Kamehameha wave. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, Master Roshi had to create the technique. So he had nothing else to go off of, which is kind of in my brain why I headcanon the fact that it took Roshi so long to make and perfect this technique. Whereas the boys, Yamcha, Krillin, and Goku, they all, they've seen the technique. They understand that it can be done. They understand that there is something to do with key control or controlling your energy. So I could, uh, I'll give it to them. I can kind of see how they can figure it out much faster than Roshi did. That's fair. I'll give it to them. And at this point, it's Kamehameha Wave has been around for a while in Dragon Ball. So why not just let everyone have it? I mean, quite literally almost <laughs> everyone. <laughs> But that leads us into episode 91, A Sudden Turnaround, Krillin's Great Strategy. And we continue with Krillin charging his first ever Kamehameha wave, but Chaosu decides to unleash that mega Dodon Ray before Krillin can finish. And we see this giant explosion as Krillin leaps away, and we're kind of left with a cloud of dust at this point. Yeah, and it, this feels... This feels very Dragon Ball Z to me, where there's a big key blast and there's an explosion and dust and smoke. And you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. What happened to the character? And then in this case, we see Krillin appear right behind Chaozu, charging his Kamehameha and blasting it, shooting Chaozu out away from the arena. And we do get some concern from Master Roshi because another one of his pupils is just kind of whipping the Kamehameha out. And they are, well, supposed to be not ready for it, but we've seen Yamcha use it very well. And now we've just seen Krillin use it very well, landing a great hit on Chaosu and not quite ringing him out, but very close. So... I love this moment because you can see Chaozu is his his uniform is torn up. He's basically got like char marks to show that he's been damaged. He does catch himself with the flying technique and then kind of put his way back to the arena. But we get a, a some dialogue from Roshi here, some inner dialogue as he's saying, you know, I was worried about Krillin using the Kamehameha. Honestly, if Krillin had spent the time to learn the Kamehameha correctly, he would have turned Chaozu to ash. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So it was almost kind of pure luck that Krillin didn't uh, didn't evaporate Chaozu right then and there. Because what if Krillin did perform the technique correctly? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he could have obliterated him. And I mean, Goku's used it plenty of times, and Goku has maybe not mastered it, but has some level of mastery with it. And he's never he's never evaporated somebody with it, I don't think, at this point. He's certainly... Go Goku also did use it the first time against a car and not another living, you know, being. Right. <laughs> but he, he used it against Tao, who was very strong, so Tao could take it. He used it against... Major Metallotron, and he did kind of uh, tear up Major Metallotron a little bit. So that's but, true. 
So everyone's, no one's been killed by a Kamehameha wave yet, so we can all be grateful for that. Yet. <laughs> so we see Chaosu is kind of pushed to his limit at this point, and he mentions he, he's going to break out a special technique, and we see the spinning bald head torpedo is what I'm going to call it. This is, I love at least that Krillin, in the narrative, in the dialogue, acknowledges that this is not a special technique. <laughs> no, it's absolutely not. And in fact, <laughs> Krillin even tries to use it himself, but Chaosu apparently has a harder head. Uh, yeah, like, uh, it shows Krillin kind of like charging Chaosu, but not spinning. So I think it's maybe the spinning factor that Chaosu just knocks Krillin out of the way. <laughs> But uh, we we do see Krillin kind of catch Chaosu by the head and I grab on and just kind of stop the spinning just through pure force. His hands kind of burning from the uh, from the friction of Chaosu spinning. Ride and, the bull, baby! And at that point, I guess the technique is done for because once you're done spinning, you can never spin again. <laughs> And so, yeah, uh, with Chaosu kind of vulnerable again because he's not actively using a technique, Krillin goes in for the attack, and this is where we see a third technique from Chaosu, or fourth. Chaosu is just full of techniques at this point. I think Krillin even expresses, like, how many special techniques do you have? <laughs> but at this point, Chaosu extends his hands out, and we see Krillin's face turn blue, him kind of clutch at his stomach, and it seems like some sort of telekinesis that basically paralyzes Krillin. Krillin even expresses something about his stomach hurting, but this frees Chaozu up to just float towards Krillin and start to pummel him with kick after kick after kick. Yeah, and Krillin's kind of knocked around the arena, but with this technique that Chaozu is using, he can't fight back. It's almost like um, uh, General Blue, I believe it was, with the paralyzation technique. Yes, yeah, you're right. So it's a very similar situation to that, except Krillin can still at least move a little bit. And kind of realizing that the secret to Chaosu's technique is that he has to keep his hands up. He just decides to start throwing math problems around. <laughs> it's a little bit weird, but you kind of got the impression earlier that Chaosu got confused about left and right. And that was when Krillin was kind of dashing around the arena and Chaozu was like, is he coming from the left? Is he coming from the right? Uh, and so Krillin decides to kind of use that knowledge to try to confuse Chaozu. And it almost seems like this ruins Chaozu's concentration on the paralysis. Uh, and as Chaozu tries to figure out these math problems, Krillin goes on the offensive and is able to land a few attacks on Chaozu. Yeah, and we we see Chaozu kind of regain his composure after getting knocked back, and, you know, that's not going to happen to me again, is what he says. So Krillin just starts asking a ton of math problems, and this overwhelms Chaozu, and his guard is dropped for the final time. Yeah. Krillin actually wins a fight. He knocks Chaosu <laughs> from the arena, and Krillin is the goddamn winner. That's my moon boy. That's my Krillin. God damn it. I, you know, how do you feel about the way that Krillin won this battle? I mean, okay, so once again, 
it's always some weird technical, I don't know, some weird get out of jail free card or something like that, that always results in Krillin winning these fights. And I mean, I will give uh, Super some credit when he threw that shoe in that guy's nose. It feels just like this sort of thing. It's this clever little way of winning the fight. And I feel like I don't mind it every now and then because it does show that Krillin is clever. But I'd like to show the martial artist side at least a little bit more. I don't feel like I get enough of that. I agree with you. I, While I was pleased to see Krillin win this fight, I also felt like... I didn't expect it to end where it did. I almost felt like it was anticlimactic. Like the, the fight felt to me like it should have gone on beyond that. Like Krillin should have used the math problem to, to beat Chaozu down. Chaozu too tired to use any of his special techniques. Then they just had to basically the fisticuffs duke it out. But I don't know. I, I know that's not really what type of the type of fighter that Chaozu is. He's all about the special techniques and kind of like the mind powers and such. So maybe that's why they ended it the way that they did. And I mean, I, I don't mind them ending it that way because every it seems like almost every one of these techniques that Chaozu has used, they almost prevent Krillin from fighting back pretty much in any way. And so as long as he, Chaozu has a, a technique that he can use, Krillin can't really fight. And so he has these very small, brief windows that if he doesn't take advantage of them, then he's basically done for. And so I don't mind him getting one of those windows and capitalizing on it because that's been all the damage he's done in this fight so far. Yeah, and that's fair. And I mean, it's it's at least a unique way to end the fight. And like you said, it does show that Krillin is creative and resourceful. And I mean, at that point, uh, we do also, I think it happens kind of during the fight, but we get a, f a bit of a flashback with Master Shin as he's kind of remembering his brother, Mercenary Tao, and it gives us just a little bit of insight into their relationship as Master Shin had been Tao's teacher, uh, being the older brother. And Tao, however, was arrogant and brash, and that was something that Shin was never really able to temper in his brother. And it turned into the two of them almost being rivals to the point where they had a fight over some spilled food and hadn't talked in years, which is why Shin was completely unaware that Tao had been killed. But a little detail in here that I found interesting is that Shin even compares Krillin to mercenary Tao. And it's mostly because Krillin here is kind of, I mean, he's he's been shown to be arrogant. He's been shown to be very brash. I mean, using the Kamehameha without knowing how to use it, we saw Roshi was pretty concerned for his well-being. So while Krillin is not a murdering asshole like Mercenary Tao, I kind of like that they do make that little bit of a comparison between the two. Well, I mean, and you never know if if Krillin had showed up at, you know, Shin's doorstep rather than Roshi's, would Krillin be just like Tien and Chaozu? Like it 
it, it could be a rat it could be a radically different story for Krillin depending on which teacher he would have gone to like I don't think Goku ever would have been a pupil of the Crane School but I don't know about Krillin Krillin when he showed up at Roshi's doorstep he was kind of bullied desperate looking for that next step sort of thing so I'm not going to rule it out no and that's I hadn't even thought about that that's actually a really good point in that especially early on Krillin when he was always looking for a shortcut, always looking for a way to get ahead, no matter what the cost, no matter what it meant for his morality. I could absolutely see that Krillin taking on the teachings of Shin and turning into a Tien or turning into a Chaozu and really embracing that shady, immoral side of himself. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy to think about. And it's kind of weird that I guess Shin even brought it up, right? It's, I don't know. It definitely makes you think. And I wonder if it has any sort of implication for the future. I don't know. It's it's great to bring that up, though. Yeah. <laughs> it's got me paranoid now. Yeah, it's a fun little nugget in there. But we also get a little moment where I just thought this was fun, but Roshi mentions that Krillin loves the adoration of the crowd too, which again is kind of a, another element of Krillin's personality that I could see really fitting in well to the Shin school of martial arts. Yeah. It's they're I don't know. They're almost kind of building Krillin up to be the next big bad guy. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> <laughs> All the baldies are bad. Exactly. Yeah, never trust a bald man. I'm getting there. <laughs> so we do get Yamcha in the hospital being delivered the good news of Krillin's victory. And we also get a scene of Master Shin training Chaosu to do math not on his fingers, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty, pretty entertaining. It basically ends up with most of our cast asleep at nighttime. And we get a scene of Master Shin sneaking out, uh, trying not to wake Tien and Chaozu. But Tien clocks this movement of Master Shin. And we then see our hero Goku just sleeping in bed when somebody sneaks into his room through the window and this somebody tries to knife hand stab Goku missing as Goku rolls over in his sleep. But this alerts our protagonist to this assassin that has entered into their room. Uh, Krillin and Goku kind of scare the assassin away and make chase as the assassin leaps out of the window and tries to run away. I, this scene honestly did catch me off guard because master Shen has kind of been, you know, a jerk, but not really a killer up to this point. And to see him throw on his assassin costume, sneak into Goku's room and then just, well, he was fully on just planning, murdering a child. <laughs> it was kind of surreal. Yeah, it's a little bit wild, but I mean, knowing that mercenary Tao is Shin's brother, we can definitely start to make some parallels there, right? With mercenary Tao being a master assassin and 
absolutely not caring if he murders no. children. Mm-mm. And so we we get Krillin and Goku confronting Master Shin in the dead of night, and he just gets rid of his costume. He's like, yeah, whatever. I'm I'm killing both of you right now. And we kind of get this battle between Krillin and Goku getting ready, or Krillin, Goku, and Master Shin getting ready to kick off when it's pretty quickly interrupted by Tien, who tells Master Shin that this battle shouldn't be decided by you. It was one of Roshi's pupils who killed your brother, so it should be one of your pupils who avenge, or avenges him. And yeah. I thought that was a very interesting point. And I was way less interested when that meant that there was no more fighting on this night. <laughs> I was a little bit bummed that this fight gets interrupted, but I think it's I think it's appropriate for the story that they're trying to tell here. And Tien even goes so far as to say a quick death is not good enough for Goku. He should die in the ring where his master can watch him broken, humiliated, and killed, which is fucking savage, man. <laughs> yeah, Tien is a... He, that dude's intense. And he's, I mean, he's been doing some gruesome things so far, like with what he's done to Yamcha when he was willing to just, like, burn alive that one creature he was utilizing. He really is a... He's a big old jerk. Yeah, yeah. And especially it's it's very interesting to see Tien's origins, especially for people, for those of us who have watched Dragon Ball Z and know that Tien is, I mean, I don't think it's spoiling anything saying Tien is one of the good guys in Dragon Ball Z, but this is this is a very different character that we're dealing with here. He is brutal and ruthless and absolutely one of the bad guys in this moment. Yeah. And I love it because they kind of wrap it up right there after agreeing to settle things in the tournament. And that leads us into episode 92. Wait, here's Son Goku. And this is an episode. Um, I'm going to let you know right now. Actually, Todd and I discussed it before the show. <clears throat> we were not sure where to put this episode because this is a kind of a weaker episode, but we figured we'd just kind of get through it this once. So that way the next episode of Instant Transmission is that much better. And so I have no problem speeding through this one if you wouldn't mind. I'm totally fine with that. The other thing here too, well, we'll talk about it as we wrap this episode up, but this episode is all about Goku's first match in the the finals where He's up against Pampit. Oh, is... you actually wrote down the name. I just kept writing some rando. Uh, he's basically some rando, but <laughs> he's a hotshot movie star who has been winning all of his fights up to this point and has not been defeated at all. And his, uh, I'm going to call him his agent, Pampit's agent, is trying to give Pampit information about Goku's fighting. Uh, but Pompit doesn't want to hear it. Pompit is very arrogant. And the agent sees Goku and is worried that Pompit is going to lose to this child and completely ruin his image. So the agent tries to abduct Goku 
and tries to keep him away from the fight such that Goku will automatically forfeit the fight on time for not showing up. Yeah, and when Goku is, I like the word abduct because it, it makes it just sound horrible. But <laughs> I mean, it, it is what happened. But for some reason, I wasn't thinking that way when when Goku was abducted. Um, <laughs> well, Launch actually notices this happening, and this is blonde hair Launch, so the the mean one, and she kind of pursues Goku as he's being abducted, and actually gives chase. And she ends up kind of uh, pinning the car that Goku's in in an alleyway. And honestly, my favorite part about this episode is Launch actually kind of pulling all these giant, strong, thug-looking men out of the car and kicking all of their asses. It was kind of awesome. So I actually connected to that. I want to say probably my favorite part of this episode is their use of Launch as a character here. Because, I mean... Honestly, Launch has been so insignificant as a character. She basically served as the way for Krillin and Goku to get the training underneath Master Roshi. And besides that, she's just been a gag character. But with Launch, yellow-haired Launch, seeing Goku get abducted uh, by these, these bad men who are trying to basically keep him away from the fight, this feels very much like a launch sort of scenario where launch is basically a criminal. She's seen criminal people do criminal things. And so I like that they use her as a tool to rescue Goku, who is completely ignorant to the world and just believes that this guy is trying to take him to the <laughs> relocated tournament arena. Yes. So at this point, launch kind of saves the day and tells Goku to get the hell back to the the match because it's about to start. Goku just kind of goes on his merry way, makes his way back, and yeah, he arrives just in the nick of time because that's about as dramatic as uh, this fight's going to be. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it is kind of funny because when Goku enters the arena, um, what's his name again? Pumpit. Yeah, that guy. Uh, he's like flexing and being arrogant and he even hops around the arena breaking walls and just kind of showing how strong he is just really feeding into his own ego and then after this giant display of greatness the fight starts and goku basically just kind of taps him a few times like three quick little jabs to the chest and that's it that is the end of the match we are done with this character the only cool thing i like about this is that you see visually a single elbow strike from Goku to Pompit's chest, but you audibly hear three separate strikes. And the announcer even says, oh, a single hit took Pompit down. But I think it's Tien who says, oh, no, it was not a single strike. It was three separate blows. And I, I like this kind of narrative storytelling to show that your average man, even at this level of power in Dragon Ball, your average man can't see the speed at which these guys attack each other at, which is crazy. It does that. And it also is putting Tien and Goku on a similar level, whereas nobody else could see the three attacks. Tien could. 
And so we're kind of getting like they're starting to do the big build up at this point. Like we've we've got all the the groundwork done. We know why there's drama in this fight. We know why Goku and Tien just hate each other at this point. And we have everything's in place. We're just kind of doing a little bit more build up until we get the big payoff at this point. And unfortunately, episode 92 is the last episode we're covering on tonight's edition of Instant Transmission. So I got to ask you, what do you think of the the second installment of the World Martial Arts Tournament so far? So, I... So far, I like it. I think that there are a couple of episodes where the pacing could be better, a couple of episodes that feel a little bit fillery, and that's okay because the the meat of these episodes in between those ones is well done. I I liked the fight between Yamcha and Tien. Uh, they they kicked up the animation a little bit there. We got some interesting techniques with Yamcha using the Kamehameha, Tien deflecting the Kamehameha, and we got a a fun, if a little bit weird, fight with Chaozu and Krillin. We get to see Krillin actually win a <laughs> significant fight, <laughs> actually beat a tough opponent, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, one of our basically one of our new primary antagonists, and Krillin took the W. So that's a win in my book. Uh, and then we also get to we get a goofy gag fight with Jackie Chun that has a cool tie into the previous tournament. We get a somewhat fillery fight with Goku, but like you said, it sets up the it sets up the levels of our fighters here because with these four fights out of the way, we've finished the, the first round of fights and we're going to be moving into the semifinals and the finals. And for anybody who's been paying attention, paying close attention to the brackets, our next fights in the semifinals are going to be Jackie Chun versus Tien and Goku versus Krillin. Oh, it's so good. I actually didn't look at the brackets. Oh my God, that's so good. Yeah. Oh, I mean, poor Krillin, but the Jackie Chun fight should be really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, I mean, it, wait, we'll see because maybe Krillin's been keeping something in in the bag up till this point. Maybe. Because I don't think they're going to make the battle between Krillin and Goku boring. So I'm really interested to see what they do to kind of catch Krillin up at this point and put these two combatants on the same level. It's it's going to be something where Krillin's witty and kind of a little dirty, I'm guessing. But I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing here. Oh, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. Yeah. So while we're ending on finishing these first sets of fights uh, on today's episode of instant transmission, we're leaving the, the meat and potatoes of this tournament in the semifinals and the finals for next time, as we split this episode up, but man, I haven't seen these fights in years. I know what the, the outcome is for these fights, 
but I'm so excited. Like this is one of the episodes of instant transmission where, where Dayton and I watch these episodes in a group and then we'll, we'll wait a, a week or so to watch the next few episodes. But I really wanted to dive into the next episode. It was after tough watching stopping. These. It was really tough stopping because you know, all the, I mean, the, the finale is right around the corner and all these big fights are coming up and to, I mean, I guess kind of stopping on this week note too made me even more hungry to watch another episode because man, <laughs> this is going to get so good. And what, what I do want to say real quick though, is the, one of the big things I noticed between this world martial arts tournament and the previous one is that the, the, the tone took a, a click towards serious it's everything's just a tad bit more serious, like with um, Yamcha being knocked out and his leg actually being broken. And they're discussing the death of Shin's brother. And there's all these, there's this real intent to kill between um, these characters. And there's a little bit less of the fighting, the big disgusting guy who farts on Krillin's head. There's a little bit less of that going on. And like I said, it's not a big click, but it's a small click where we're kind of we're we're growing up these characters a little bit. I mean, it's Dragon Ball as we're going through it. We're I mean, we're almost 100 episodes through the original Dragon Ball, and there's only 153 episodes in Dragon Ball as a whole. So it's really moving its way upward, like you said, in maturity to get us to that point of Dragon Ball Z, which feels, while it's still a shonen anime, kind of directed towards maybe like a younger male audience, it's certainly more serious in tone. It's much more, it feels more like a sci-fi space drama than it does like a goofy gag show for children that the very first arc of Dragon Ball feels like a little bit at least. Yeah, and I mean, just even looking at the, I guess the first story arc in Dragon Ball Z, that that was a very serious situation, and horrible things happened. Whereas, we're finally getting into territory where we're seeing like a main character just had his leg broken while he was unconscious. Like, all right, that's a really bad thing. I don't think anybody at the previous World Martial Arts Tournament was really that kind of was really as nasty as Tian was, or there was no character like Shin who's, I guess, gunning for for our heroes' lives, and he's very capable of taking them. Yeah, and those are those are good points. While the the previous tournament, the previous tournament really didn't have much in the way of an a true antagonist. I think the the story arc for the previous tournament was more about Master Roshi keeping his pupils from thinking that they had reached the peak of the martial arts mountain and them losing interest because they're so young. They're something like 12, 13 years old in the first tournament. So if you think, oh, you know, I'm 12 years old and I'm one of the best, if not the best martial artist in the world, (laughs) why would you continue to push yourself? So that's basically what Roshi was trying to prevent in that tournament. Whereas this one, it's all about martial arts school against martial arts school. Which one is better and which one is, uh, I mean, 
the turtle school is kind of treated as like the good guys treated as at least somewhat moral, even though Roshi is a pervert. Whereas the crane school <laughs> mileage may vary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas the crane school is, I mean, all of these characters we've been introduced thus far are just assholes, honestly. Yeah. None of them are really good. In fact, there's even a scene where um, I think it's Balma and Launch are sitting at a table and no one will bring food to them. And it's because someone sitting just behind them, he's covered in bandages. He's got just a, a cloth draped over him. He almost looks like a mummy, but it's all from battle damage. And it's pointed out that that actually came from Chaosu, who literally is just burning his opponents out of the arena. And it really points to how just awful these characters are. Yeah, we kind of skipped over that, but it's a, it's like a, a little bit of a throwaway detail about foreshadowing the Dodon Ray, but it's also another, just another detail on these Lego blocks of why the Crane School characters are jerks. Well, I believe with him as well, they, they point out that he'll probably never fight again. So it's... It's uh, Nam, it's that random guy, and you could argue that that was the intent with Yamcha. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was certainly unnecessary force after the fight was already won. So, I mean, if they want the audience to hate a bad guy, they're doing a good job. These guys are just absolute jerks, just not good guys. I'm sorry, I'm using very foul language right now. <laughs> those doo-doo heads <laughs> yeah they're they, they got poopy butts man like uh, i just i right. can't stand them <laughs> but yeah i mean i i think by making our antagonists here hurt characters that we care about like i know you dayton said that you didn't care very much about upa and bora no. and and i, I still don't <laughs> I mean, I can't really argue with you there, right? We don't have any connection to them when they show up and when Bora gets murdered by Mercenary Tao. However, we've seen Nam. We've seen what a good person Nam is. So we've got a. We've seen him try to help his village. We've seen Goku help him help his village. So we've got a little bit of a connection there. Yamcha, we absolutely have a connection with as Yamcha's been with Goku since the beginning, went from being a kind of an antagonist, a bandit trying to steal from Goku and hurt Goku and his friends to befriending Goku and befriending Balma and learning martial arts underneath Master Roshi. So we, we've gone on a journey with Yamcha. We care about him. And yeah, we we've, care... we've got a lot of connection to that character, right? He means something to the to, to the viewer. Absolutely. So it, by him getting hurt, we care about that incident. We we then throw our hate and our vitriol towards Tien because he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And I, I mean, like I said, the I would say the worst part about this first half of watching these episodes is that I have to wait to watch the second half. <laughs> the fight, the, all the fights, I think were well, not all of them, but the actual fights they tried on were very, very well done. There's a handful of, you know, just dancing over their opponents, or I guess this last one was kind of a... We spent a lot of time for Goku to walk into the arena and elbow a guy. Um, but outside of that, the Chaosu Krillin fight was fantastic. The um, Tien Yamcha fight was fantastic. 
I mean, it's been very good so far. And there's been some good dialogue and character building, too, along the way. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The next fights coming up are, and I mean, it's it's probably no no secret, but the next fights coming up are far above and beyond better than the <laughs> Yamcha fight and the Krillin fight so far. I mean, like you said, it's the this is the appetizer, and the meat and potatoes are coming up, and I can't freaking wait. I'm starving. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> but for the most part, like I think you can tell, Dayton and I both enjoyed at least this the first half of this tournament, and we're going to cover the next half in the next episode. But Dayton, did you have anything else you wanted to discuss for this portion? Hell no! Hurry up and get us to the next episode. <laughs> With that in mind, that's it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we exchange blows in the semifinals and final round of the 22nd World Martial Arts Tournament. Goku has to make it through his close friend Krillin if he wants a shot at Tien. And that's if Tien can take down the disguised Master Roshi. Which of our top-notch fighters is going to come out on top? Is Tien's third eye functional or just a tattoo? Does anybody remember Goro from Mortal Kombat? Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. That's my moon boy. That's my moon boy. <laughs>